This is the Mouths of the South podcast. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me. The official Dirty South Soccer podcast. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Talking all things Atlanta United FC. Don't nobody understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, man. We are the Mouths of the South. The South got something to say. That's all I got to say. What's up, Atlanta? This is the Mouths of the South podcast, not in the palatial 68 of the fan studios. I am Eric Quintana. He is Josh Bagliansky in his own home. Josh. Are you going to tell everyone where we are every time? I think so. Like, it's are just, you just going to clarify? It's a force of habit, and I can't, like, I, I have to come up with a new opening, and it's just, I've said it so many times now that it just, it just, it's just going to happen. Well, if we do one in person, we might get canceled anyway, so we need to make sure that we clarify that we are being safe. Eric lives in, uh... Where do you live? Far. I'm Dorville. 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 Oh, that's not that bad. Intersection. No. Good Good uh, Chinese food up in that area. Uh, and I'm more in town. So we are nice and distanced and uh, doing this responsibly. And yes, we have clarified that once again for your listening pleasure <laughs> that Sam, we are not in the same place. Sam uh, taking the day off because he had some stuff come up uh, last minute. Um, I want to give a shout out to our, our sponsor for the podcast, Lucid FC, a distinctively modern clothing line based right here in Atlanta. Reflects a deeply British American heritage design approach uh, to clothing, promotes freedom of fashion, gender, and role. The brand's iconic logo is immediately recognizable. Uh, pants, outerwear, hats, shirts, hoodies. Right now, the, the big thing is obviously the masks, um, and they've got the mask with their logos. They just come out with a pretty amazing video um, kind of promoting their, their brand uh, that, that everyone should go check out. I know we, re- we retweeted it from the, uh, the podcast handle on Twitter, from mine, um, and the five-star final boys also did it as well. Uh, ask me what the FC and Lucid FC stands for. Eric, I was wondering, uh, what does the <laughs> FC and Lucid stand for? Football. No. <laughs> Footwear <laughs> and clothing. Wow. You <laughs> and it's a almost... perfect match for fans of the football clubs. What almost a had it. Almost joke. Had it. Take a look at uh, you, their website. Got... W... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. www.lucidfc.us. Lucidfc.us. Uh, Make sure you go check them out. Use the code DSS for a special discount. Um, or just go hang out with them in Buckhead and tell them that... Uh, they got a cool spot. Tell them, tell them that, uh, that we sent you. Tell them that we sent yeah. you. Almost, almost made it through the whole thing without, without messing up. You were very close. You really blew that at the end there. With the most obvious part... With the part that we do every week verbatim, by the way, the what does FC stand for? Yeah. Believe and me, it's... Uh, Anyways, I'm, well, I'm, uh, I'm, about, I'm, about as good, I'm about as great as Atlanta United right now. Yeah, we both said this. Uh, yeah, emblematic of where we are. Yeah, <laughs> about as awesome as Atlanta United right now in terms of performance. Um, <laughs> Four-two loss to Nashville, a game which you heard the quotes from Miles Robinson talking about how you know we have better players, we should win this game. I was of the same mindset. I was just less, I guess, outspoken about it. But I do remember telling people that asked me about it, saying, you know, I, I, we should win this game. It's Nashville. Um, and then I saw the lineup they threw out, and I was like, you know what? This is kind of a formidable team now. It's not the same. It's not a. It's it's not the early expansion team that we uh that we that we played very early in in 2020. And um, Atlanta United certainly isn't the team that that we thought was gonna it was gonna be in 2020. Um, you've got a a a bevy of mistakes from this team in this match. You've got I, I don't know when the zonal marking stuff started. I assume it, it's a product of Stephen Glass. I just no one. It seems like everyone across the board just doesn't like zonal marking for whatever reason. We still see it here, here and there, uh, enough for it for it to become a, a talking point for for a lot of broadcasters. Um, you saw 
Brooks Lennon had a had an awful game. Uh, George Bellow, I think, uh, while obviously he scores, I think he he could be at fault for either miscommunication or, or not tracking back early enough on on a uh, on I forget who scored the but the the, the Dunlady goal. Um, you've got a Dax McCarty running into the middle of the box with no cover, no one's on him. Um, I mean, a stupid throw from 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 Franco. Brooks not adjusting to to the defense and, and the defense just in general not being prepared for that kind of a turnover. It was a a fantastically awful game to watch from a fan's perspective. It was a it's a I, seemingly nothing went well. Even even the the positives for Atlanta are so overlooked because of how bad um, Atlanta was throughout the match. And I you're at the point now and we'll go over the quotes we heard in the locker room after or uh, in the in the press conferences after the match but you're at the point now where it's 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 looking dire for Atlanta United. Yeah. Well, I think you have to look at the trend line too. I mean, it's been quite a few days since the match itself, so I mean, it's that match has been broken down every way possible, but there's a trend I think that you've seen uh over the last three matches where you've just seen a really bad team performance where you know, and uh, it's something that we mentioned uh, way back um, after the the Orlando match on on the road, where you pulled out the point through Adam John. Well, not way back, but you know, but where that was a match where you suddenly looked more wide open than you had at any point this season, despite the 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 lows and the extreme low points that you'd had under Frank DeBoer. You'd never looked that disorganized, and that has gotten worse and worse and worse, and kind of escalated to basically a loss against Nashville where four, two maybe flatters you a little bit, um, you know, unable to pass the ball out of the back and build up. That's not, you know, that's not something Atlanta United have had major issues with this year. It's been more about creating opportunities in the attacking half. And now we're starting to see them miss on passes out of the back. You know, uh, as you mentioned uh, with Dax McCarty, uh, dominating the center of the midfield where you're starting to have legitimate issues with effort. Uh, where I think you're not seeing recovery runs in time. I would more so look at the center midfield for that. Um, so you're starting to see parts of the performance, aside from the personnel holes, you're starting to see parts of the performance that should be controllable that are, um, that are starting to hurt you. And that, that, in, that involves buildup out of the back, which is something the team hasn't been terrible in all season, as I've said. Uh, that's starting to look really bad. And then you're just starting to have effort issues in general. Yeah, it's it, it hasn't been great. You, I, I I don't know where exactly to pinpoint the problems a lot of the times. I, I, I know that everyone I have friends that text me and said, you know, it's it's all on the back line at this point. And I'm like, I it's tough to blame it all on the back line when when you have teams running at you effectively with 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 no one in front of you to cover, uh with with no with no midfield to help in transition, with nothing nothing positive going forward. And yeah. it's funny because I, I looked at the uh, was it the Miami game where I, where I watched it? And I was like, you know what? I, I have a little confidence because we actually, because it was open. It looked like we were playing a little uh, on the attack and, and we were able to build something. We seemingly created threatening opportunities, even if they didn't amount to much, we created threatening opportunities going forward. And um, you know, there yeah, was, but we, you know, we had that discussion then, but I, to me, that was just more a factor of the game being more open right. than it yeah. should have been. And I agree so with I you, thought, but it was, it was something we hadn't seen before. So I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe something has been unlocked here where all of a sudden they're going to find some open space and, and we're going to be able to yeah. see them going forward. That was my hope. 
I agree with you that a lot of it was because Miami was just like, well, we're going to play open. We're going to. Well, I think we, and we learned that the trend from that match was not so much Atlanta United attacking better, but just the match in general becoming more open, which naturally leads us into more dangerous areas, but it's also not really what you want. You know, when I think attacking soccer, I think on the front foot in control of the game, but not necessarily end to end going both ways. And then, so, you know, we were hoping that that Miami, Miami match that trend line was that you're more dangerous in attack and not that you're just generally more open, you know, from defense to attack. And, and we saw it was more so the latter, I think, uh, against Nashville where, yeah, you, you actually scored two goals. You created some chances, but the game was just wide open. And to me, that's not attacking soccer. That's, you know, suicidal. And, uh, and, and we're starting to see the game get open because Atlanta United, to me, like I said, not completely passes out of the back and having issues recovering defensively and winning the ball back. So to me, you're seeing the games get more open because the performances are getting worse uh, from Atlanta. I, I, while the performances are bad, I I think the worst part about all of this is the comments after the match. You're hearing from Lorena Witz talking about how I've been on bad teams for sure. You have to play your way out of it. If you don't, it gets worse. It compounds. Each game gets worse. If you don't, you don't want to come to training. He goes on and so forth. We, we've all, I mean, I, if you've ever played sports, more often than not, one of the years or one of the seasons in which you played, you had a bad season. And it's just tough to kind of build yourself up and, and, and create the, the, the want to to get out in the field to play to train to 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 take every game seriously and not you know see the season as kind of a joke we, we've talked about te- mls teams doing the same thing in the past towards the end of the season we, we talk about teams as if you know what do they have for, to play for and so even though it's still early enough in this season as weird as it's been to kind of make a comeback and to and to uh, you know to to find a way out of this hole that they're in it just doesn't look like even from even now it just just doesn't look like it's going to happen you're hearing things from from Stephen Glass talking about how it just seems like the, the entire locker room's a mess these are Stephen Glass's uh, quotes after after the match i don't think any manager in the country can legislate for the sort of mistakes we made tonight defensively off a set piece poor giving the ball away poor not defending crosses a team can't be on the front foot if you can't pass it out of your own half that would be the reasoning behind not being able being on the front foot tonight he goes on to say if you don't do the bait this is where i i thought all right something's going on here if you don't do the basic things well or if clear instructions are not followed and people decide to do what they want or what they want to do rather than what the team needs them to do then the team finds themselves in trouble which leads me to believe there are players who are just like, I'm just going to go out and play. I don't care what, what the instruction is. I'm just going to go out and play, which I could see happening under an interim manager. But at the same time, as a professional, you should know that this is, these are the things that sometimes happen throughout a career. And regardless of who the manager is, he's the one at the, at, you know, trying to right the ship, trying to figure out how to correct course. I think something you mentioned early on in his reign that uh, at the time I was not too sure of, but ended up being kind of correct was that he was using, it seemed like he was managing the team similar to the way that he was managing. I'm the more US convinced side. now, I think. And I think, and I think the players are also, also have become convinced of that. And that's why you're seeing uh, a team come out. And as you say, Eric kind of do what they want. The thing with under Frank DeBoer was the, the locker room was, getting more and more broken and the players weren't communicating. But for me, effort was never an issue. For for me, the players stuck together despite despite probably realizing they were playing a system that wasn't going to work and they didn't have the personnel for. 
but I didn't see, I mean, again, you go back through the Frank DeBoer matches, even at your lowest point, that Cincinnati match and that uh, Columbus match and that Red Bulls match, you're still not wide open to the point where you're conceding a ton on the other end, maybe the second half against Columbus and MLS is back. But I think the players have figured this out too, that, you know, maybe under Frank DeBoer, they were thinking he's not communicating what he wants and it's unrealistic what he wants, but they still tried to do it. Under Stephen Glass, it seems they've realized, as you said, Eric, he, uh, he's not interested. He's managing this the way he would a USL side. So why would they even attempt to execute his point, even though it's not entirely dissimilar from Frank DeBoer? And then for him to kind of manage the team that way, and I think it's quite clear, for instance, by handing Tyler Wolf a debut in that match where you didn't have to, uh, and then come out and publicly berate a team and hold them to a standard of winning – uh, and attacking when you yourself as a manager are cl- clearly just experimenting with things, that's not fair. And that's going to lose the locker room even more. So to me, that's what, you know, maybe you had a little lethargic is what you saw under Frank DeBoer, but you're seeing a lack of effort and players doing whatever they want under Steven Glass, because for me, he has not behaved or managed this team like a first team manager should. And an interim I- manager, whether it's interim or not, has to do that. The one thing I've wanted to see from the beginning is consistency. Consistency in the midfield, consistency in the in the in the starting eleven choices, and we haven't seen that. Why Kubo Torres isn't the the automatic starter every match? I don't know. Why you even consider putting Adam John in there? And I, I say point, that I point more to the midfield though. I mean, well, but, one, but but yeah, I was getting to that. So but, I look at I don't really understand now looking back. I, it seems like Jurgen Dom maybe could have played more minutes. I know he yep. pulls up with the injury at the end. And Glass's explanation was that he hadn't trained enough with the team, but he didn't look unfit to me at any point. The decisions through the middle made no sense whatsoever when you basically rotated Hoseto out, played Hindman in a match, and then didn't rotate for the next match uh, against Miami. You played Hindman again, and he had that horrible match where you moved him deeper and played him in it. And then you go into the next match uh, against Nashville, and you play Tyler Wolf through the center. So yeah, th- I, those I, are – those are not normal rotation decisions. You know, those are ones that either are illogical because they're not based on form or fatigue, as we saw with the Heinemann playing that extra match and Hasetto could have been rotated in. And then in the case of Tyler Wolf, it's that that's a USL move. You know, that's just throwing a young guy out there. And that's great. You know, if you want to do that and say, this is a lost season, that's great. But then you can't come out afterwards and criticize the team for not doing the things that you wanted because you are not doing the things that they want as well. So, I mean, it's the, the language. If you're going to do something like, like, like a wolf, uh, giving him his debut, the, what, what, the, the wordage you want to use after the match is, you know, this is, it's a, it's a you know, tough season. You know, we're looking to get as much out of our, as the season as you can. You don't, you don't talk specifically about not following clear instructions because when I hear that, I think that you're talking about, the bigger name players say like a Barco or, uh, or Lorenowitz or the guys that have been fixtures to this team, at least for this season, you're looking at, you're looking at them to follow clear instructions to lead the team in the direction that, that uh, Steven glass wants them to be led in. And if, they, if that's not happening, that, you know, obviously that becomes a problem, but and I to just, me, that's, you know, that's them saying, wait, you're not giving, us a clear direction right because of these these weird you know from the tactics to the uh, well the tactics aren't that bad i guess but the from the the strange rotation to the handing guys debuts when you shouldn't be they're saying you're you're not giving us clear instructions so why should we follow yours what i've wanted to see again was consistency consistency in the midfield so that you can develop that yeah. chemistry that that's needed to help 
uh, to help uh, this team figure out its way forward, figure out its way into the into a into becoming a more attacking presence. Um, I, I've wanted because look, we're, we're, we've seen the reports about you know from Caesar Merlo about Marcelino Moreno, and and I don't know what to expect because. Is he going to play as consistently as, as we've assumed that he's going to play? Or is he going to be a rotation guy? Or, or are we going to just experiment with, you know, the five midfielders that we do have right now? Or, like, I don't know what, what to make of this, of this potential sign because I don't know how we, what the plan is surrounding him. Yeah, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a interesting signing. I mean, looking at the player himself, I think he's a very good player. I think he can do a lot of good things. But who's to say that he doesn't show up and Stephen Glass says, well, he's only been training with the team for a week. So, you know, I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to play Tyler Wolf again. You know, like, I don't, I don't know that I, even though I think Moraine is a big addition and we're, we're going to talk about him here, but I trust that Glass is going to put the midfield in those situations, like you said, Eric, to create a consistency where you do build some type of chemistry and cohesion for 2021 which you'd imagine he would be a big part of. And, and uh, we're assuming this is going to happen because it's reported by Cesar Marlowe, who's been 100% reporting Atlanta United uh, transfers uh, before they happen. But, so there's, it's, but, but then him as a player, Eric, what do, what do you think? I mean, you, you told me before you haven't seen a lot of him. Um, I, I, look, I just – I would hope that he's – He's a starter. I think he's clearly a sure. starter. I, yeah, I think that I do. Maybe that I think. Rotation. No, 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 but I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't. Sure. What I, what I, the reason I brought up rotations is because I didn't know exactly. You could, you can go ahead and sign them, but the way that this, that that these players have been kind of brought in and out and rotated, True. it just it looks like. I mean, I, you can't tell me for certain that he's going to be an every yeah. match starter. Right. Um, I'm not saying you know as soon as he signed, he plays the next game. But what I am saying is that what I want to see out of this midfield is, is specifically the midfield. I want to see it across the board as well, but specifically the midfield, because that's where the most rotation seems to be happening is, is that consistency is that the solid group of players that you want to control the, the tempo of the match that you want the, the match to kind of flow through. Um, and you want to build those, you know, the, that relationship between those players, you want to build that chemistry with, I want Moreno to come in and, and be the guy that we need. I, I, I don't think he's going to be, uh, anyone that's going to pat the stats or anything like that. I don't think he's going to be this, this amazing goal scorer. I don't think he's ever been asked to do that. Um, I think that he's a guy that could help control the midfield a lot better than it is now. I think he could be someone that, that comes in and finds a way to, to, uh, to almost not, I don't know, like almost be a Nagby ish presence. Maybe yeah. not in the same we style. But, the, do we, but, we say that once a podcast, but it's yeah. so true. But, but and the reason I say that is that his, he's so dominant at his position that he, he it becomes vital to the success of Atlanta. Right. That's what I mean by Nagby-ish. Well, and I think one thing with him is he's a very good dribbling player, especially through the middle of the pitch, which was something that unique that Nagby brought to that center midfield position where he was able to complete passes at a high clip. But most center midfielders that com- are completing that percentage – are more similar to Hoseto where they're, you know, there's a reason they complete uh, a lot of their passes because they're not one to take other players on. So they're looking to play quick and simple. Um, but Moreno is a player who can dribble, not pass like Nagby in terms of efficiency of right. like 90 plus percent passing, but he's a player who can dribble through the middle of the field like Nagby could. In fact, his dribbling statistics um, are 
actually kind of baffling um, from Argentina for a center mid, the amount of dribbles that he's attempting from that position. But it's clearly working when you look at the uh, success he's had playing there for Lanús. Do, so, you have the, do you have the numbers in front of you by chance? He, uh, I don't have them right in front of me, but according to the great Teodo football, so if these are wrong, you can blame him. Uh, our data <laughs> whiz at Dirty South Soccer. He was attempting something like eight dribbles a match, um, which is like... Which if you're looking for someone to help you in transition, that's, that's what you want, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. But that's just an insane number. I mean, for context, I think Almiron attempted like uh, four a match or, or something to that degree when he was playing through the center. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, and obviously, you know, that I think now the, maybe between him and Joseto, so Joseto and Moreno can fill the Nagby void, whereas Nagby could dribble and complete passes at that efficient clip. Joseto was more the guy to complete the passes and Moreno was more the guy to carry the ball on his own and provide the dribbling through the middle. Um, so I think he's a big addition um, I, that he's going to enable you to not just kind of knock the ball around harmlessly around the back, around the midfield, as we've seen. He's a guy uh, that can get on the ball, drive the team forward, similar to what we've seen Barco have to come back and do. But, of course, you want him stationed higher up the pitch. So hopefully this will bring some of the attack uh, into play a little bit more in that Barco – uh, can be a little higher up instead of having to drop back into the middle to dribble forward. Um, so, so I think it helps in terms of all that cohesiveness from fr- front to back. However, Eric, you mentioned goal scoring and the player you miss most in attack. That player is Joseph Martinez, and he's right. not going to be back till 2021. So this adds quite a bit, but you're not going to start. I don't think you're going to start scoring goals suddenly because you add a center midfielder right. that's a bit dynamic. I think the big thing that I notice in Atlanta United's uh, attack right now is that there's not a lot of movement off the ball. So when you, when you do see a Barco, and I think we mentioned it a little bit last week, but when you do see a Barco in possession in the yeah. final third, there's not a lot of movement to help him. Uh, you know, there's not, there's not an outlet pass. There's not a, there's not a through ball that he can, he can, you know, pinpoint. Um, I think that giving Barco the opportunity to be that guy that can make that off ball run while Moreno is, is, is either dribbling up or, or, or uh, you know, finding ways to, to, draw attention, opening up spaces for, for other, for other players. Yes. If he can be that guy, uh, then I think that there's, there's going to be more success. It's not going to look great for 2020. Not until, not unless all of a sudden you've got Jurgen Dam go doing off ball runs. You've got, you've got guys like Bello, which well, someone's to got that, a score, you know, right. I mean, that's, that's all but, it is. Yeah. My, my thing is that the, the, the thing that worries me is that he's going to come in and look very pity esque because there's not a lot of off ball movement. I'm not going to, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this to any player, but I wouldn't judge him based off what the rest of what it was rest of his season, uh, his year with twenty twelve uh, with Atlanta United looks like. Um, but going into the next year, that's what I would hope to see him being uh, in combination with Joseph Martinez and 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 hopefully Barco still around. Uh, maybe Jurgen Dam becomes a more of a fixture with with the starting eleven at that point. Uh, that's what I would hope to see out of a player like Moreno is, is that he can contribute in that way. The ways that we wanted Pity to kind of contribute for Atlanta United and he just didn't really pan out for, for us for whatever reason or for the reasons that I'm sure we've talked about a million times now. Um, that's what I'd hope. But the first, first what, what has to happen is that, that those off-ball runs have to occur. And right now they're just not. It's a lot of watching Barco. I can't tell you how many times – or not even Barco, but watching whoever's on the ball outside the box. There's yeah. not a lot of movement. I, it, when we saw Bellow's goal, I was like, oh, my gosh, we have an off-ball run into the box from, from 
Well, and right. Bellows right. one of the only players you've seen do that. You know, you're right. left back. You know, he's the one of the only guys that you constantly remember streaking into space. One thing you said, Eric, that I think is very true is, um, well, a couple things. So the PT comparison, obviously, they're totally different players in terms right. of the role they play. But I could see him getting some criticism early, early because he's a player that tries things. Right? He's he's a dribbler, and so let's go ahead and accept he's going to maybe have a moment every now and then, or maybe even once a match where it's like, dude, you gave the ball away right in the middle of the field trying to dribble a guy, but just who he is. Right. And, and hopefully he will complete more of those dribbles where it becomes more of a reward than a risk. The other thing that you brought up, well, go ahead, Eric. Well, what I was going to say is that that. it feels like MLS is just not as open as Argentina. It doesn't seem like it's, you have this back and forth between the, between two teams yet. It, it allows for this back and forth, for this openness between sure. teams. And, and that's just the way that, that it's played in Argentina. And it's not so much here because I think Pity ran into that same problem where all of a sudden he couldn't find that space in the midfield that he was so used to having in Argentina. And so I wonder if there's a way to overcome that for him um, should he make his way to Atlanta United and, and if there's a way that if, if he does find himself in less space and he's not able to move about freely like, like he could in Argentina – if that is something that one Atlanta United is considering and two, if that's something that, that a guy like Moreno can overcome. Yeah. I think it's partly in the comparison to super league. I mean, firstly it's, I mean, referees certainly don't help where you can foul a player like Barco seven, eight times a match and see maybe one yellow card for it. Um, but the other part to me is just personnel. I mean, you, in Argentina, you, the, most of the players are from Argentina. So you have technical creative or from all around South America, you know, you have personnel that, kind of dictate a game being wide open. And I think one thing that, you know, I think you can play open in MLS. It's, it's just going to be a little harder, you know, until the referees figure out how to start showing yellow cards when teams are just clearly hacking down the opposition. But to me, Atlanta United's <laughs> struggle for uh, PT, particularly this year, and maybe Barco to an extent playing wide open is, again, it's personnel-based. And you have a player who – you know, you talk about Barco being able to make that run in behind as opposed to being the one to play that ball. Now you have a player that can dribble forward and do that, you know? So, so, you know, that would hype if PT was still here, a player like Moreno that can dribble, get into the last third, has some end product. That's going to be what makes the game more open for PT or Barco. Cause they're going to be able to find more open spaces. It's a lot easier when Emerson Hindman's on, you, you can kind of just track him you know, cut off the passing lanes and you know, he's not going to take a guy on, you know, that's, that's not the case for Moreno. And so is not very, it's not, they're not, he's, they're very predictable right now. So it's, it's very yeah. easy to defend. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and that's why, and a guy like Emerson is not, uh, you're, he's not a go-to center midfielder in attack. You know, he's more of a, a guy that's going to do everything right, do a lot of things well. But as we saw the other, uh, as we saw the other, uh, the last few matches, when you ask him to do do a lot, do a lot of things, he struggles. And uh, now you finally have a dynamic player through the middle who can make the game more wide open in a good way for your bar and for maybe Dom. Sadly, sadly, there's not really anybody else right. Uh, right now. But this is a player who can drive you forward, draw two or three defenders, that's going to open up those half spaces for a Barco to get into, as opposed to like before it feels like number one, Barco is your only player that can drive the team forward and complete a pass in behind. And number two, Barco is your only player that can receive the ball. I mean, we can't pass it to himself. 
you know, he's the only player that can receive the ball forward in the last third and create. So now finally you have a player who can dictate that a little bit and hopefully make your attack a little bit less predictable. Um, you, you look at Atlanta United going into, in, uh, into Miami. Oh, actually, Miami's coming to Atlanta, right? Yeah, Miami's coming yeah. to Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you look at that match, and what do you want to see out of Atlanta United, considering everything that's going on behind the scenes, considering the comments from Stephen Glass and, and, and Lorenowitz? What do you want to see against Inter-Miami? Uh, Inter Good God. Um, that's a great question. Well, we assume Moreno is not going to be available, so uh, he would be the one to watch. I'm looking for one of two things. I want the team to either go all in on trying to get results in the next few matches by playing their, their best 11, uh, committing to a style, you know, following the instructions of the manager, the manager putting the, the best team on the field, which makes his instructions more clear, or go the other direction play your young players, don't come out and criticize, you know, don't, don't be so critical after the match in terms of the manager and say, okay, we're going to be a real rebuilding year and we're going to get minutes for Tyler Wolf, George Bello, uh, Hosetu, I think he needs to be integrated a bit more, uh, you know, and all these guys that need to be integrated more into the line. Gallagher, if you want to play him. Yeah, Gallagher, absolutely. Maybe even other guys from the USL side. So commit to one of those two. Uh, so at least we're not coming out of this match once again thinking I don't understand if Stephen Glass's idea is to get this team in the playoffs and try to make a run or whether it's to give minutes to younger guys. Just make it clear what you're doing. And then I think there are, either way you'll get a better performance on the field. I, uh, the one thing that did surprise me about that, I was looking, watching back the highlights and I didn't realize Ray Hudson. Oh, well, I either knew and forgot or didn't realize that Ray Hudson was their color commentator, which I think is For a – Miami which is an absolute blessing for Miami because that is – I, I love I love Egan and uh, Gargan, I, but is there look, a way – You put Egan – look, I love Gargan, but if you put Egan and, and, and uh, Ray Hudson together – Yeah, well, if, that, if Inter that's, a, that's a combo right there. <laughs> I, I would normally say if Inter-Miami keep playing like this, we could easily get Hudson know, here for some exciting soccer. But I know that like Hudson it. lives in my – well, last I heard, at least, that Hudson lives in Miami, so I'm I sure believe, it was, it was yeah. a pretty easy sale, yeah. BN uh, is located in Miami. Yeah, that too. That's where he works for, yeah. I, um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. I want to see much the same thing. I'd love to see consistency, but at this point, I can't really expect it. I'd love to see just Kubo Torres kind of solidify his position up top, and maybe because of the missed chances – that's why he's been rotated with Adam John because you're looking for goals out of that position and the chances that Kubo Torres has had, he hasn't been able to, to do anything with or any, he, and he's missed those opportunities. Um, I want to see Jurgen Dam on the right. Um, I want to, I, I want to see Joseto in, in, you know, in the midfield. I, I want to see, I think I'm kind of done with Hyman. Not that I was ever like super happy with him. I think uh, if, if, Hose but, if it's Hoseto then and Heinemann in front, it's not that bad. It's if Heinemann's a little deeper where it's really a, really a problem. I, I just think he ha I've, I've lost enough confidence in, in him where I think he needs to re-earn his place in that midfield. And I'm much more – I'm much more – I would rather – I would pencil in pretty much immediately – um, Remetti and Lorenowitz. And if Heinemann can kind of, you know, figure it out through, through whatever training they're able to do, then, then, then maybe he, he works his way back in. But there. you but would I, go, I just, I, you would go Remetti, Lorenowitz, Hoseto for this weekend. That would be my, my default, I guess. I think that's fair. And then the wild card that some people have mentioned is that Anton walks and Fernando Mesa have both played quite a bit of 
a CDM in their career. So maybe if Mesa's fit, maybe you see one of those guys move into the six uh, and then Lorenowitz or Remedi sit. So I, my, um, my only, my only issue is that is because it just breaks up that consistency of, of having them play as, as defenders. And I know they've done in the past, but all of a sudden it's not just the, the, you know, uh, Meza or, or, or walks playing that position. It's everyone else adapting to them playing that position, which can be, mm-hmm. that can take it, that can take a few games. It can take a few matches. It's not like it's, it's just something that sure they might be able to play the position, but you got to think about the, the, everything around that player as well. Right. You know, that kind of disrupts the, the chemistry that was already built. And I think Remedi and Lorenowitz, that's the only, they're, they're, they're fixtures in those positions. Um, Heinemann, you know, you know what you're getting out of him. So it's not like a surprise when, when, when something terrible happens. Joseto's the only one where I think he's still trying to work his way into this thing. I think he's getting there. I hope that he finds a way to, to be more productive. Um, but to, to throw a Meza or, or – because you brought Meza to replace LGP. That's, that's the most obvious thing I think Elaine Knight's ever done. Um, and to, to start to, – to put him into that, into that CDM role, I just think would disrupt – it would disrupt enough to where, like, I, I can't really judge whether, you know, is it a product of them playing badly or is it a product of, of all of a sudden the midfield being disrupted? And I think the, the big part – I mean, again, it, 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 it's all about committing to the – Right. The two directions. If you are trying to get results right now, then that is quite a risk. (laughs) Um, Because like you said, Eric, even if it works, it's probably going to take two or three matches to. uh, To work out the kinks and. And to start. And by by then, if you don't get results, you know, uh, even with the expanded uh, playoffs this year, it's going to be a little hope for you. On the other hand, if, like I said, you're viewing this more as a, you know, we need to try some different things and experiment, see if it works and if it, that's fine. But at the least we'll know uh, some more about our team going into 2021. Then maybe you move one of, you know, walks or Mesa to, to the six and, and see how it works there. So again, it's all about which direction are you going to go to? And I think with, uh, I think it's 10 matches left in the season. I think it's time to commit uh, to one of those two, because even if you make the playoffs this year, there's no way I, I really just don't see you making a run. So, um, you know, you still might be able to make the playoffs by going the experiment, experimental route. I'd like to just salvage something from the season. And if we can get the, the you know, we've been in the playoffs every year type of thing, I'd be happy with that. That would be cool. Considering, yeah, the, 10, yeah. considering the year that, that 2020 has been for, not only for the world, but for Atlanta United. Um, and I, Orlando I, was going to make it. Yeah, so, so we, we have to. You can't, you can't let it fall that far down, you know. You got you to gotta, you gotta find a way to – yeah, shed light on this terrible, terrible season so far. Uh, but hopefully, we're talking about some kind of, you know, some kind of some 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 players only meeting or or some <laughs> something like that where it just turns things around right off the bat, and all of a sudden you see these players playing with a lot more effort, with a lot more uh, intensity, with a lot more uh, purpose and, and attitude, and and you know, hopefully, following directions from Stephen Glass and doing everything right. Hopefully, everything gets corrected for 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 Miami, but. We'll see. We'll watch that game and see how that goes. Um, any final thoughts before we take off? No, I mean, like I said, I mean, my, my final thought is show me what your plan is for the last 10 matches with what you do this weekend. Either, right, I mean, we discussed it already. I won't repeat myself, but show me what you're expecting for the future. 10 matches, Stephen Glass. Give that clear instruction. We'll see the players follow your instructions on the field. That match on Saturday, 8 p.m., um, we'll watch it. We'll obviously have a podcast for you early next week. We'll also keep uh, tabs on this Moreno potential signing. And uh, that is it. All right. Uh, where can they find you, Josh? 
find me at Josh B914 on Twitter. You can find us at uh, MOTS Podcast on Twitter, at Eric G. Quintana on Twitter for myself. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And to make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you already aren't. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell a homie. Tell your girlfriend. Tell your wife. Tell someone to download the podcast. All right, that is it for us. Until next time, see you later, Lana. Thank you.